Thunder Media. Welcome to our 400th Inside Supercars, added to the 426 V8 Insiders, which was the previous name of the show, and you're up to 826 editions. Today we continue our review of the 2009 Supercars SWAT, and we look at the threats. I mean, when we think about the generation of the next, it almost seems like there's not many lessons being learned from one to the other. The championship season is too long, causing issues for teams from cost and annual leave perspectives, to name a few. This one has to be an epic fail, really. Um, they identified it as a problem, and the problem got worse, much, much worse. Threats to supercars. And have they changed over the last 15 years? I hope you enjoy our chat this edition. 400 of Inside Supercars. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. This program is brought to you by P1 Australia Racing Components, the designer of the oil heat mats for dry sump tank applications. Find out more about the truths on engine oil heating at p1australia.com. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to another Inside Supercars SWAT analysis from 2009. And uh, well, I've been amazed, Tony Whitlock and Peter Norton, as we've talked about this, you can really pick it up and just put it on the table now and say, this is our starting point, because so far, everything we've seen has really still got the same SWAT uh, position for the most part. So it's on to threats. And Peter Norton, starting with you, manufacturer support, relationships, company and policy, policy changes. That is something that supercars have certainly suffered from in the uh, last five years. Oh, yes. Uh, it's been a bit of fun uh, jumping in the time <clears throat> the time machine to look at uh, 2009 versus now. Um, it, it, it's fun to think about where was the world in 2009. Uh, that was the year that we had uh, Miracle on the Hudson, the aircraft that landed in the river uh, uh, just next to uh, Manhattan in, in New York. Um, so, yeah, let, let that uh, sort of sink in of how long ago that was. Um, but it's funny. Some of the things that were happening in 2009 are still happening now. Uh, Lady Gaga, Taylor Swift were top of the charts. Um, okay, the, they were much younger and it was the early part of their careers, but they're still very much uh, a, a factor these days. And the same thing for many of these threats. Um, yes, the, the sport is vulnerable to the manufacturer's support and relationships and you know whether, whether people in the executive offices uh, set a policy of playing or not playing. Uh, and you know really we, we've got a, a much weaker local presence from General Motors, uh, but thankfully we have got Ford stepping up. But um, 
you know, Ford have been fickle over the years. Uh, sometimes they, they do an about turn. At the moment, they love to invest in Mustang and, and the future there. Uh, it was interesting reading today uh, some of the uh, reports and speculation about what the, the future of the Mustang is. Uh, of course, there is the, uh, uh, the the EV version of the Mustang, a little uh, uh, SUV style thing. Um, but uh, in stuff I was reading today was the uh, uh, the next next series of Mustang, uh, a slight uh, cosmetic upgrade. But also in the pipeline is hybrid engines. Uh, so maybe the Mustang and the Ford's part, um, as as all motorsport makes the evolution into uh, electric. Maybe Ford can still be there, but uh, you know, General Motors is still to show their hand on what they'd like to race that has uh, uh, batteries in it. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're very right. I, I'm sure that they wouldn't have foreseen that. Um, and the, the fact that no one has really stepped up, um, stepped back into it, you, you would have thought that, you know, whether it was a Mazda or a Hyundai or Kia or somebody, you would have thought that somebody would have said, gee, we can grab a share of the uh, car buying public here. Now, I mean, at this very moment of time, of course, all we hear is uh, that um, people are selling uh, used cars for, for more than they, they bought them for. Um, and so the whole market is so dramatically changed um, that you couldn't, you know, you couldn't have foreseen that at all. It's uh, it's one that, that obviously will have an impact on where does the series go next, whether you know electric vehicles are are the answer, or whether everything becomes Ute racing. From two thousand and nine to now, you've had one huge change in the landscape, and that was Ryan Story and Dick Johnson getting Roger Penske involved. And the whole relationship with manufacturers seemed to pivot on that occurrence. And obviously the Ford relationship was massively improved, but you even saw other other manufacturers taking supercars seriously for um, at least a year or so. Uh, yes, it was the real shot in the arm, wasn't it? Uh, uh, and uh, yes, credit to the Penske connection, but I think the timing was also just just lucky. Um, Ford uh, around the world was doing more with Mustang. Uh, remember in NASCAR, they used to race Thunderbirds and Tauruses, but finally they got the Mustang uh, shape onto the front of NASCAR as part of uh, you know, a wider, more consistent uh, uh, motorsport presence. Um yeah, we need more of that, uh, and uh, we really need some other brands there to, to keep it going. And that, of course, has been where policy changes and more recently the EVs are becoming the uh, real threat to ICE, which is internal combustion engines. Well, uh, uh, announced in the uh, in Canberra, the the... Uh, what was the magic year? Uh, 2035 won't be able to buy uh, an internal combustion engine in the ACT after that date. Uh, it's got a lot of people thinking and talking uh, whether they'll uh, get away with setting that uh, as, the, as the hard limit. We'll wait and see. Yeah, that's an extraordinary thing. I, I see that there's a, a bit of a bun fight going on between state and uh, federal government over this Victorian um, 
electric vehicle tax. Now, that sort of thing isn't going to help when there's question marks um, on the take-up of electric vehicles. That doesn't help the cause at all for, for racing vehicles. Um, clearly, there are various racing um, series, uh, the Formula E series, and there's that uh, off-road E series. You know, they, it can obviously work. It just just works very differently to what we traditionally have seen in the past. It, it, it's going to be fascinating to actually watch in the next, in probably next two years, it's going to shake out as to what's going to happen. Considering you can't go Canberra to Sydney in an electric vehicle yet, let alone trying to get to Melbourne, it is going to be uh, an interesting challenge. Hopefully, uh, batteries will have improved by then. Yeah, I think there'll be a lot more charging stations as well. And critically, if a track in the middle of nowhere like Wakefield Park is having noise problems, the end of the ICE and the pure electric vehicles might be the only way circuits can even keep operating. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty sad one there. And from all I understand, it's a very small number of people who are the protesters. Um and a large number. And one of the things that hasn't been mentioned about this and it is um, the driver training and the importance of having circuits because, you know, I know Sydney Motorsport Park has an enormous number of days that are allocated for police use and all the myriad number of uh, uh, government vehicles that are driven that are, you know, they're not, not going to drive at a track to learn to go fast around a corner. It's to, learn to drive them safely at speed and uh, that plays a very large part in all these racetracks. Indeed, we have another threat now. Platform sponsor support, policy changes, re-alcohol advertising restrictions. That one has been a threat in the entire history of sports. We've seen the cigarette era, the alcohol era, the betting era and Whilst the cigarette era was probably the one that governments clamped down the most on, there is always that chance that something that comes in and starts putting lots of money into your sport could be shut down because of uh, the winds of change. Uh, the motorsport's in big, big trouble if uh, there's a ban on energy drinks or the promotion of them. Um, there's plenty of people who say that uh, they're not particularly healthy for you. Um, but uh, thankfully, it's uh, not so uh, clearly bad for you as cigarettes. So I think that the threat of the energy drinks being bumped out, uh, it's low. Uh, but what, what will be the next flavour of the month? Um, I have found it interesting uh, how many cryptocurrency uh, sponsorships there are, uh, trackside on certain race cars, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, you want to make sure those checks are clear or... Uh, because uh, I'm not sure if all those players are going to be around in six months' time with the, the crash of the, the different cryptocurrencies and uh, question marks over their long-term uh, viability. And, of course, Epic uh, Sports Photography, uh, the new NFT range of photos <laughs> is, is on the uh, knife's edge. Oh, I've missed the boat there. I haven't got the uh, range of NFTs uh, uh, published yet. I haven't made my my billions, uh, and uh, I don't think I ever will out of that little trend. Uh, that one seems to be gone. <laughs> well, the championship season is too long, causing 
issues for teams from cost and annual leave perspectives to name a few. That threat, 2009, the championship was even a lot shorter than it is now. No. And and uh, we've got a December second weekend in December, isn't it? Or first weekend? Um, yeah, so it, it's March to December and it's ridiculously long. Um, and combined with the fact that they're running this race meeting in December when they've got to have new cars on the track, not yet built in March. Um, you know, I, I mean, supercars will be running at the Grand Prix and I'm pretty sure that's going to be the first, second or third week of March and they're going to have to have done at least a shakedown test all day <laughs> for these new cars. So this is a, a real dilemma. and we, we know of at least three or four people who've left the series because of the very thing you talk about, the toll on, on family life that people won't put up with anymore because there are alternatives there. Yes, uh, this one has to be an epic fail, really. Um, they identified it as a problem and the problem got worse, much, much worse. Yeah, they, they really need to uh, have a think about this one. It's still a problem today. There's no way of changing that unless you do a an IndyCar where you say, we're going to change this by instead of a seven-month season, we're going to have a three-month season. And that was a, a, a huge, huge uh, disruptor in that series. Y- yeah, it does need a, a whole rethink. Um, well, Craig, uh, you've long been a proponent of a more of a summer series, uh, getting away from the ball sports, uh, uh, creating the opportunity for more twilight racing because uh, the weather's not so cold and miserable in, in places like Winton. Uh, yeah, the, it's whether maybe the new owners have uh, ideas, uh, we just wait to find out. But, um, yeah, there is, still is that uh, opportunity to really change the way the calendar works because, yeah, I think this is still a threat. Once again, I come back to the Australian Championship and the International Championship where it might be the same teams with different personnel and drivers that are running in those two championships and they run at different parts of the year. It might mean that with more paid drivers in the International Series that you can afford more staff which will then allow things like annual leave. Because as we go from 2022 to 23, knowing that at Newcastle, there has to be a whole bunch of new cars on the grid, no one's getting a Christmas holiday this year. Yes, exactly. Uh, and that's why I think that this is still a, a major problem for them. Uh, the, the How do the teams get to have time off and uh, recharge? Uh, how do you get to build new vehicles? Uh, it's just a, a tough little business to be in. So as we look now at the landscape changes, the threat was rival sports at the time, a new soccer competition with Hyundai backing. One thing about Football Australia They've managed to keep Hyundai well ingrained in the sport. They have started the A-League, which has got good traction now uh, so many years later. And they have, uh, you know, changed the perspective. Big Bash has, well, it's had it's a balloon up. And at the moment, uh, there's questions about whether people certainly in the media want it, but they've uh, managed to keep a bit of a core together and have changed the landscape. 
Yes, Craig, there's some interesting uh, ups and downs there that you've just described. Um, th th these things were really big threats. Uh, uh, you know, big bash uh, for the soccer, that had great potential to grow uh, much bigger than, uh, than I think it has. Um, what I think uh, my observation over all of these years is that um, the people who are scrapping over uh, you know, positions for downwards, uh, there's been lots of uh, juggling and people manoeuvring, growing, contracting. But throughout all of this, the big three, AFL, NRL and cricket, has gone from strength to strength. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it's, a, it's been a scrappy little uh, fight there as people try to get uh, uh, closer to the big three. But I'm not sure if anyone really has. And interesting, when I speak about the A-League and about Big Bash, both summer series, they both moved into summer. We had basketball move to summer. And then new players came in, like the AFLW, which started as a summer competition as well. Um, yes, the, the the women's competition is probably the, the more recent growth prospects uh, and, and many of those other sports really haven't met their full potential. Uh, sometimes it's about TV deals and those sorts of things, um, but uh, again, it's also about uh, how do you get the profile in media. Um, sure, the people who already follow you uh, hit like and subscribe and follow, but how do you make that bridge across to people who aren't actually connected to you yet? And in fact, something else has happened with it is that people are actually watching that, that and people are watching it and going to watch AFLW cricket and and football and NRL. Um, it's uh, it's been a success as uh, introducing women's sport in the way they have, and they've rated well. Um, so uh, yeah, you're very right that uh, it could well be the uh, opportunity has passed. Um, and it, uh, maybe it's, it's that simple thing also more people wanting to participate in sport than, and obviously supercars and motor racing is seen as so expensive um, that it's outside the realms of possibility. Um, there's been little done in recent times to uh, introduce any cheap motorsport, shall we say. This is the SWOT analysis from 2009 presented by Mark Scaife to the uh, team owners at uh, that time. And we're looking at the threats. Now, I'm presenting these in the order they were in the document that was passed around. And I'm interested that uh, what was the fifth threat? TIGA, the Touring Car Entrance Group of Australia, teams imploding, infighting, conflict of interest issues among team directors, teams, management of the sport. Now, if that shouldn't have been number one, I don't know what should have been. And, and it's obviously got to sort of pan out now to see whether the structuring and the restructuring of the way in which uh, supercars is owned and uh, gives a return to the uh, team owners I mean, clearly when Cochrane introduced the franchise system, whatever name it went under, it was successful in team owners having something that they could sell at the end of their tenure in the game. Um, it's been some years now since there have been uh, a, a list of people wanting to buy a franchise, though, and obviously now with the end of it, there is no 
longer that same uh, need. The wildcard program has been successful. I don't know if it's probably brought any new people to watch the sport. Um, it just adds a little bit of interest, maybe not to the degree that uh, they hope it does. We'll have to wait to see on that one. It's uh, something that's going to take a while to pan out, though, as to how the uh, financial return to team owners will uh, make it worthwhile or not. Yeah, that, that's been a, a long-running topic and really only recently resolved with the, the new owners creating that that full separation of the, the ownership of the sport separate from the people that play within the sport. The map of governance still remains a, a little bit tricky. You'd be a fool to run your sport and not listen to your competitor base. So we've got some sensible uh, you know, committees and boards for the competitors to participate on, but ultimately the owners of the sport can now make decisions a little bit free from uh, from the you know the, the conflict of interest that was recognised there. Yeah, what it's probably evolved a little bit in terms of the uh, the, the threat uh, is now. Uh, some of the categories that are also owned by race, uh, the, 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 the uh, umbrella ownership organisation, you know, supercars is really competing with their the, 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 their brothers and sisters over there in the, the, the uh, uh, TCR championship and the, the, the categories that are associated with that. So uh, the, the politics has changed quite a bit, but there's still some good threats there. Yeah, I do want to talk about the other categories very shortly, but first, another one was an interesting one, the lack of qualified directors prepared to work on board, which meant a limited pool of talent. Yeah, um, I don't know enough about the new directors of uh, race and the board as such. I mean, there certainly are people involved in, in the teams who've got more experience now than they did have five years ago or ten years ago, it would seem that uh, there are far too many people involved in the sport who come from very rich theories like Formula One that uh, are not bringing the right experience level because their means of uh, solving problems involve spending vast amounts of money. It's no longer there. Peter, you are probably in the best position because you sit on boards. Yes, yes, indeed, I do. I'm on the, the board of uh, a fairly large not-for-profit, and uh, I'm quite uh, lucky that uh, around the table are people who uh, have uh, diverse backgrounds from uh, you know, legal. It's it's a health not-for-profit, so we've got good people uh, from from the medical areas, from some of the charities that we interact with. We've got great diversity. We've also got people who have studied governance. They've done the uh, company directors course, all of those sorts of things that help give you the right framework. We're also very fortunate that none of us have an economic interest in the activity that uh, that, that we're trying to, to assist. Uh, so we can give our insights, uh, our, our coaching to the executive team, all of that without any conflicts of interest. And that's probably the, the textbook kind of arrangement that you have for a board. Now, out there in the for-profit space, it gets a bit different. Uh, directors get paid pretty well. Some of the directors are selected for their network of contacts and uh, what business that they can bring in themselves. And then, uh, holy cow, you have uh, a board of a casino where most of them are, uh, are having to resign in disgrace because they haven't done their jobs very well. So, yeah, on that spectrum, where would supercars sit? Thankfully, not as bad as some of those casinos. But, yeah, 
the previous boards, it must have been tough to come there, try to assess what is best for the sport when you also lumbered with the fact of how will that affect my direct business or, or some of the associated businesses. You'd be a board member that's worrying about what are, what are your costs of operating. Um, it may be good for the sport to expand overseas, but then you're wrestling with the fact of, oh, hang on, how much will it cost for me to take my team there? You may want to have more exciting racing, more, more rubbing is racing kind of uh, culture to it. But then again, who's paying for the panel beating? All of those conflicts pop up. Uh, so it, it's not surprising that you know, some of the outcomes got a bit muddled uh, as people uh, couldn't give clear decisions on these things. Perhaps the sport would be in a very different position if it was a more independent board that they had uh, all along. Yes, it is definitely one that never has been really successfully navigated. But we do look now at something that I think has been highlighted this week, and that is the fact that we've got a supercar driver that has had pressure applied so that he couldn't run in another category, i.e. TA2. Now, he can run in GT3, he can run in the World Rally Championship, he can run in local rallies. Why can't he run in TA2? It's part of the family, as you mentioned before. Ooh, yes. Um, for a while there, I thought we were over this, um, but it seems that the supercars are very nervous, feel very vulnerable about TA2. Uh, they're quite comfortable with uh, uh, drivers uh, doing a maybe not the, the headline drivers, but there's plenty in the co-driver ranks that race in a TCR. Um, uh, S5000, uh, plenty of the that pool of drivers sort of uh, cross over quite a bit. But um, yes, when it becomes the direct body shape that supercars races, or, or very similar, uh, then it becomes a, just a little bit prickly, doesn't it? Oh, I think um, you're being harsh on Chaz Mostard, who is the reigning TCR champion. Uh, yes, yes, good pick up there. Sorry, uh, my apologies. I, I missed that one. Um, yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, got me. Yeah, sorry, derailed you. You have derailed me. Chaz in the Audi is not a direct competitor to the supercar brand category. Um, yeah, it's a very different thing to, to watch on track, um, whereas... Uh, yeah, uh, TA2, Mustangs and Camaros, it's the direct competitor. Um, so, yeah, of course, supercars are smart and they want to nip that in the bud. Now, years ago, probably 2012, which is after this SWOT analysis from 2009, they were selling the business to Archer Capital. And you had a theory about what could happen if the teams didn't have a skin in the game, if you like. Uh, yes, spot on. Uh, 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 my speculation was that uh, they would have uh, cashed out um, and they would have been exposed to the decisions of Archer Capital uh, to, to grow the sport, make it more of a show, uh, and that the, the teams, with their much smaller shareholding, um, would be uh, handicapped by additional costs being pushed their way. Uh, and, and that's where the, the whole thing was quite tricky there for a while about what, what say sh should the different uh, organisations have 
uh, in terms of the, uh, you know, of course you want the competitors involved in, uh, you know, some of the sporting uh, side, uh, but, you know, the razzle-dazzle side, uh, it's probably better in the hands of the, uh, of, the, of the more promoter mindset people. Um, it's always going to be a conflict, isn't it? That, uh, yeah, if you seems to travel more, to race more often, uh, to, to put on uh, more of a show of banging and crashing, um, yeah, that's going to get expensive. Uh, so it's a pretty tough uh, situation where uh, the success, the commercial success of your race team is so exposed to someone else making decisions. Um, it's just one of those fundamental things that uh, it's hard to reconcile. Uh, in particular, if your racing contract uh, penalises you if you don't turn up. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, you could just imagine that if you run out of money uh, because you've uh, put on too good a show, too many crashes, uh, yeah, you've run out of money, then it's going to hurt you even more if you get penalised. Uh, it's a hard one to reconcile. I don't have an answer for it, but to me the, 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 the conflict of the, uh, the incentives uh, and objectives were not necessarily aligned at the time uh, uh, when the team sold down uh, to Archer. Um, okay, they still participated in the profit pool, but to a much lesser extent. Uh, and I think in the back room, uh, they they managed to adjust that, uh, the, let's call it the appearance fee. Uh, you know, the, the team's still got a healthy appearance uh, fee, uh, even though that their share of dividends went down. Uh, and I think that was done to appease them to make sure that they could cover their costs and still turn up. Uh, I suspect that in the background of the new structure, there's something similar there to make sure that the uh, appearance fee uh, is still suitable so that uh, the, the teams can uh, uh, put on the good show. And what could have happened is, all right, we can still turn up at our supercars event with paid drivers in, and then they go and race something that's much cheaper. And because all the star drivers are there, that becomes the next big thing. I think you've just hit the nail on the head. Uh, if TA TA2 uh, or any other category managed to get the star drivers. Um, in, a, in an earlier part of the, uh, this SWOT analysis discussion, we uh, sort of speculated about uh, you know, growth with the Formula One circus. Uh, and I put forward the thought about, well, uh, in some of these countries, there'd be a, a better fan connection with uh, you know, the Porsche and the Carrera Cup. Um, if only it had the uh, the headline drivers, um, if it had the high-profile drivers that, that the fans supported, really the, the, the most important part of the value of supercars is, uh, well, there's a couple, the, the you know, TV deals and those sorts of things are an important part of maintaining the profile. But when the personalities drift off to race in other categories, um, that's when you've got a real threat. All right, getting back onto the SWOT analysis from 2009 now and economic turndown. Similar demographic profiles and most of the sports leaders were businessmen who would have been impacted by the certainly 2007 turndown. So it was fresh in the uh, constructors of this SWOT analysis mind on what it happens when the economy goes flat or backwards? I don't know enough to 
say whether it is or not. There doesn't seem to have been a, a, a large move in the way in which the sport is reviewed or the way it's looked upon by most people. I think that they haven't done enough in recent times promoting supercars. I mean, it's almost like they say, oh, they're supercars, aren't they? Look at them, wacko. You know, I mean, sorry, but it's just a word and it's really a vacuous sort of word at best. And unfortunately, I think there's too much reliance. I have a reputation in my professional life as being the the pessimistic one. I warn people about the doom and the gloom. I try not to, but it's the stuff that I have to read and stay abreast of in business. And I'm going to fall into that doom and gloom category here for you, Craig. Everything I read is pretty scary in terms of the global economy. In the US, inflation is a fraction under 10%. Uh, New Zealand, I think I read it was 7%. Central banks aren't tapping the brake. They're yanking on the handbrakes. Uh, And uh, there's going to be uh, a tough time coming for many, many businesses. Uh, Really, the question is, of the people who are still successful in their businesses, how many of them love supercars? Uh, how many of them want to buy a race team uh, and do all of the stuff that we love? Or how many of the remaining uh, uh, businesses that are very successful, uh, how many of those owners, maybe they want to race Sydney to Hobart or uh, build an equestrian centre uh, or, or other things to their passion uh, where they want to spend their money? Um, Really, that's been the the success of supercars in the last couple of years, that there's been an influx of very successful, clever people that love motorsport and love supercars. Um, Imagine where we would be at the moment uh, if uh, uh, Premier Hire uh, and Tony Quinn wanted to play somewhere else. We'd be back to people handing in uh, some of their, 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 their wrecks um, it wasn't that long ago that, that people just handed them in because they couldn't make a go of it, uh, that the, the, the economics didn't stack up. And what's turned around is that there's just more people that want to play their business have been successful. So two parts there. Will those businesses, the, the, the external businesses, still be successful in the next uh, two years? And... Um, how many people want to play supercars rather than race yachts or other things? Yeah, and of course, the biggest reason I would suggest on that compared to 07 was because we don't have the free to wear. Because with uh, uh, it having to be purchased when people were already being stretched uh, financially, not so much last year or, or the year before, but certainly this year, with people being absolutely... Uh, pummeled with the price of everything, that to having to pay to watch something that was free once, you know, gee, I don't think I'm going to afford to do that. And it falls off the uh, list of things I'm going to do. Uh, and I'd suggest that uh, that's uh, probably been the biggest reason that motor racing has uh, suffered a hit in viewers. Now, in 2009, this looks very different to 2023. Poor performance of Ford and Holden in the local market leading to a contraction of sport uh, of support for the teams. Yeah, this one's uh, yeah, quite interesting. We've spoken a lot about the, the switch uh, between uh, Holden being the dominant player uh, 
uh, and now Ford uh, sort of stepping in to fill that gap. Um, sure, uh, this the, it's still unbalanced in terms of Commodores are still winning, um, but uh, you know, remains to be seen what the future holds there. But it's quite clear that Ford, in a corporate sense, is still much more uh, uh, engaged with our sport. Um, I think what is happening with Walkinshaw um, will be the, the ultimate test of this. Do the fans follow a brand, a team or a driver? Or some follow a sponsor. It's like they, you know, they like a colour of a car. Um, yeah, that that will be the fascinating thing over the, the, these next couple of years. Uh, I suspect that it's less and less about the brand, uh, and it is about the driver uh, or the or the culture of the team. You know, the, some teams are the battlers, and it's good to see them do well. Uh, you know, others, I guess, are the, the silver tails, and you love to uh, you know cheer against them. Uh, uh, yeah, it's that, that personality of the, the drivers and the teams that I think is why people turn on their TVs. Yeah, it's uh, uh, a sad thing that the uh, the series was reasonably competitive across in that period, but we were seeing a dominance by Triple uh, Eight you know, to the point where they won Bathurst three years in a row. And I, I think that complacency would be the biggest thing that people sort of said, why do I need to watch? I saw this last year. Um, no big difference from one to the other. And uh, by crikey, if you're serving the same uh, same thing up all the time, people will soon turn off. What will be also interesting is we get to number nine and we start talking costs again. It seems a long way down in the threats category for me. Cost escalation of the series, development and human cost, vehicle events, shortening of series, insurances, all made up the uh, thinking at that time. In, indeed. And, I mean, when we think about the generations of cars that have come from one, one uh, generation to the next, it almost seems like there's not many lessons being learned from one to the other. How much, how much did we gain when we went from a Hollinger gearbox to an Albans, uh, and then from an Albans to an extract? From all I hear is, yes, the Albans, after initial uh, early problems, proved to be uh, worthwhile, but the servicing costs on them seemed pretty horrendous. And when you're having to have a, at least four of them to run a two-car team, gee, that's a lot of money be outlaying. And then when you hear about the money that's coming up to buy wheels alone, let alone the tyres that go on those wheels, but, you know, it's a change in the uh, total design and pattern and everything to do with the wheels that it, it just times just doesn't quite make sense and the threat will obviously be very large if the budgets to run these cars just keeps on uh, ballooning uh, well, just look at what's happening in formula one where they're arguing against their their salary cap or their cost caps um, because of the rising cost of transport and everything that they touch um yeah, this was a problem with the specification of Gen 3 before uh, all of the CPI inflationary pressures that we're facing right now, uh, uh, you know, thanks to a little uh, uh, a war, uh, thanks to some of the logistic problems of COVID, um, you know, there's so many shipping containers are, are stuck in China. All of those sorts of things have just been a perfect storm to make something that's already expensive horrendously so um 
I'm sure that there's plenty of people looking at uh, some of the uh, the designs and specifications of what's planned for, for the next two years and going, oh, shit, um, we should have made a different uh, 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 turn uh, a little while back, but now it's too late. Uh, so it will be interesting to see what they try to trade off uh, trying to balance the books. I think there's an expression about someone's asleep at the wheel here. Um, and, of course, this time period was... Uh, the time when Cochrane and Co was sort of stepping back and stepping uh, out of their involvement um, uh, and having far less to do with it. Um, we were seeing uh, a good number of people who'd been heavily involved, such as drivers like Jason Bright and Mark Scaife and Tony Longhurst. These guys were all leaving the series and a bunch of younger ones were coming in. Now, maybe some of them didn't vitalise the... Uh, uh, viewing audience enough, um, which has been uh, not helping. But uh, the changing face of motorsport, as we know, is one that's uh, centred on young drivers coming in. Don't seem to have ever wanted to seriously take the cost of the sport into consideration. And they've tinkered with trying to bring in caps on people, bring in caps on how much teams can spend. But no sooner than they bring them in, someone has gone round the back door to get uh, another way of spending money. Well, as you and I both know, that uh, now it's, it's coming out that um, there are, of course, supercars in both America and, and Europe or England that have gone over there and sat on seven-post rigs and various other things to develop them. And, of course, that's massive development costs. Um, which, you know, the series never needed. And because there wasn't adequate policing of these things, it just got out of hand and, and continues to get out of hand. Um, I, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's laughable that, that they could even sort of talk about some sort of cost capping, really. I find it also fascinating that it was so low down the order. We saw reduced costs and uh, as a opportunity... And then threats is rising costs, both very low down the pecking order. As most people would be aware, your biggest threat is normally the first thing you ride in the uh, top box of a SWOT analysis. Uh, that That's usually the case, isn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, well, uh, I've already put my cards on the table. Uh, you know, I'm all for the bean counters ruling the world. Uh, yeah, this cost part really needed to be... Uh, of higher importance back then and now. Um, however, uh, I, I work with plenty of people who have the alternative mindset, uh, and that is build it and they will come. Uh, uh, invest the money wisely up front to create something big and shiny and exciting, uh, and the dollars will sort themselves out. Um, maybe the answer somewhere in the middle. Well, Peter, thanks very much for your time here on Inside Supercars once again. And uh, it's been fascinating looking through the strengths, weaknesses and opportunities and threats of supercars from 2009. Thanks, Craig. It's been fun to jump in the time machine. Uh, I, I just want to go back to 2009 and buy some Bitcoin, uh, even with the, uh, uh, the terrible, terrible prices of Bitcoin at the moment. Um, there's still a profit to be made if you could go back and buy uh, a couple of hundred thousand of them way back in 2009. Well, that's it for another show, Tony. Thank you uh, for, uh, well, sort of sitting in the guest chair for a change. Indeed. Well, pleased to uh, look on it. And uh, I must say that I am a 
a half uh, glass full person, but it is hard to uh, get excited about the future when there seems to be so much doom and gloom on the horizon for a series that it should be doing far better than it is. But the thing I remember vividly after I'd been doing uh, two or three years of race facts, I remember that the series by about the year 2000 had become what I thought it had been, but really wasn't. Smoke and mirrors, I suppose you'd say. Smoke and mirrors. The Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.